This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 123. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you, if you like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan, on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page. If you don't want to go out and search for all those things on your own, you can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's Brian with an O. At the top of the page, you have all my social media buttons, so go ahead and click those things. And uh, like me on all those different uh, social media platforms. Also, if you're on my webpage, you can give me an email address and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders, read by yours truly. Also, while you're at my uh, webpage, if you go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, you can throw a few pennies my way and help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on. I do appreciate any particular money you want to throw my way. I, I do greatly appreciate it. Also, uh, please remember that my book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, is out, available for purchase anywhere. You can also get an autographed copy on my webpage if you go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash blame Hamilton. You can get the book. Uh, and if you do get the book, please leave a review on amazon.com. And if you do like this podcast, also please review it on iTunes. Okay, so the last podcast I did, I talked about social cultural issues, did a little bit of... Uh, you know, rambling about that, but um, this one I want to get back into history, and it actually piggybacks on an episode I did on Reconstruction. And it's, it's um, the reason I want to talk about this today is because uh, not long ago I was in a debate with uh, someone on, on Facebook uh, about secession and was secession legal. And one of the issues that was brought up um, in this particular debate was Texas v. White. Now, I'm not going to get into Texas v. White in this podcast uh, entirely. I'm, I'm actually saving that particular, that particular topic for something that you're going to want in the future. And I'm just going to hint at it now. You're going to want this thing. Uh, and I will be talking about it more in probably the next two to three weeks. You'll hear more about this. But I'm going to save Texas v. White. But there is one particular issue in Texas v. White that I want to address in this podcast. And that is the issue of state suicide. Now, what do I mean by that? During Reconstruction, during Reconstruction, there was a position put forward by the radical Republicans that the southern states committed suicide when they seceded from the Union. Essentially, they lost their status as a state. And this gets into the whole nature of the Union. And the issue I want to talk about is, is that even possible? Can a state, a member of the United States, be reduced to a territory by the general government? Can that happen? Because essentially what you're saying, if that's possible, if, if this was entirely possible, that a state can be reduced to a territory or a colony by the general government, then essentially what you're saying is the general government created the states. And so there are several different things I want to get into this. Um, the idea of what constitutes a state, how we think about a state, and then I want to talk about Reconstruction and how inconsistent the Republican Party was and why they were doing it. 
And I want to emphasize something, that when people start saying, that when you say uh, the Southern position or the position that secession was legal is the extreme Southern position, the other position that it wasn't legal and that somehow the states, the Southern states were committing treason is actually the extreme Northern position. In fact, most people in the United States did not think that Southerners were committing treason at all. They didn't think that at all. This is why no one was ever convicted of treason or even accused of treason in a court of law in the United States after the war. In fact, if you look at the majority of the American population, probably would have preferred for the states to go in peace, particularly before Lincoln called up 75,000 troops. I would say at that point, the majority of Americans would, would have been fine with allowing the deep, the seven deep southern states that had already seceded from the Union to be independent and just let them go rather than trying to coerce them to stay in the Union. And even when Lincoln called up 75,000 troops, we have to remember at that point that a large minority did not agree with Lincoln's policies. In fact, if you look at the 1864 election, he won that election with 55% of the popular vote. Uh, and so if you include Southerners in that, with that 45%, Lincoln's position was still in the minority. That most people in the Union probably would have been fine with the South being independent. I think you can, you can say almost conclusively that was the case. So let's talk about, and there's some other things I want to get into this too. Uh, I've also seen it said that out of the, of the southern states that seceded in 1860 and 61, only, North, only Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia would have been able to secede. The others were created by the general government first. And so therefore, and maybe Texas you could throw into that group because Texas was an independent republic for nine years before it became, uh, before it joined the Union in 1845. So maybe those states, you're talking about a handful of states that could have been claimed that they could have seceded because they were the original signatories, at least four of them were, to the Constitution for the United States. And uh, Texas, of course, being a um, being a independent republic, could claim some type of independent status and therefore could resume that status should it choose to leave the Union. Now, of course, in the case of Texas v. White, the Supreme Court, in a 5-3 to three decision, said this is not the case. The southern states never seceded because secession isn't legal unless the other states allow it to happen or through the right of revolution. Uh, in fact, the problem with some of the, the three people that dissented, two of those people simply didn't think the, the Supreme Court went far enough in declaring state suicide, that these states were somehow territories of the United States. They didn't go far enough in saying that. This is why they dissented. So the question is, how are these states created in the first place? Uh, do, does anyone have a point that, well, I mean, we got the original 13 states that you know created the Constitution. They wrote it and they ratified it. But anything that came after that doesn't have any status. They can't say they're independent. They can't do any of these things. Well, this is completely false. So we have, of course, territory. Now, the Articles of Confederation, interestingly enough, uh, made provisions for Canada to join the Union, but nothing else. In fact, unless nine states agreed to admit a quote-unquote colony, into uh, the United States. They couldn't do it. 
So we had all that territory out west, the northwest uh, or the the uh, land ordinance of 1785 and the northwest ordinance of 1787, all that territory that was acquired by George Rogers Clark of Virginia, um, and then of course generously given to the central government by Virginia, worked Thomas Jefferson worked that in. Uh, and if so, they had to organize it. And so you had the land ordinance which set up you know, townships and lots and all these other things. And then you had, of course, the Northwest Ordinance, which said that these states that would come out of this, the states that would come out of it, would be on equal footing with the existing states. In other words, they would be states just like Virginia. They would not be colonies or provinces of the original. And so how were these states created? Well, they were created by the people thereof. The people decided when they were going to have a state government. They could work out the borders later. The borders were irrelevant. But the people decided they were going to have a state. So the people created the states, and the states had sovereignty. They had powers. If you look at the Articles of Confederation, you look at the Declaration, this is very clear. And those things were not altered. Those two ideas were not altered by the Constitution. It's just the general government had more authority that it did not have under the, under the Articles of Confederation, but it still did not reduce the states to mere corporations of the general government. So if that's the case, if the states were creating the general government, which is true, I think the record is entirely clear on this. Now, Joseph Story, as I get into my book, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, will tell you otherwise. And of course, Samuel Chase, I'm sorry, Salmon Chase, uh, Samuel Chase, Salmon Chase, who was the uh, chief justice in Texas v. White, thought otherwise. But this is an opinion of two people. It was not the opinion of the founding generation. It was not the opinion of John C. Calhoun, who argued for the admission of Michigan as a state because he said the people of the state of Michigan created it, and therefore they determined they were sovereign in that state. They could determine all the issues that were being debated at the time. And one of them was slavery. And, and Calhoun was fine with Michigan coming in as a free state, because this is what the people of the states could do. This is what Jefferson even outlined in the Northwest Ordinance. And people have a hard time understanding this. If slavery was prohibited in the Northwest Territory, that didn't mean anything when it came to the states, because the states could decide if they were going to be slaveholding or not. In fact, there were some serious discussions of that in places like Indiana and Illinois, whether those states were actually going to be slave states or not. Uh, also, people don't seem to understand the idea that uh, the Constitution, um, when it comes to this, this thing where uh, the Constitution uh, has enumerated powers. Those enumerated powers only apply to the general government, not to the states. It doesn't apply to the state governments. This is why states have constitutions. The only part of the Constitution that applies to the states is Article 1, Section 10. That's it. The states, whatever's not denied by the state to the states there, they can do anything. And since secession is not mentioned in the document, it doesn't say the states can't secede, therefore they can, because that's not a power denied in the Constitution, to the states. It works in the exact opposite for the, for the general government, which is exactly how the Friends of the Constitution sold the document to the states. But people can't seem to get around that. They say, well, you know, show me in the document where it says the states can't secede. Then I'll say the states can secede, because there it says it right there. Well, they don't even understand federalism. They don't understand the original Constitution, how it worked, how the Constitution was sold to the states. In other words, uh, to be blunt, they're stupid. Okay, but, I mean, this is why we try to educate people. I mean, we, 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 work, from, we work from the bottom up, and we, 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 argue, we deal with idiots, and so we have to do that. But, uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that to be cruel. 
Uh, but when people and you try to tell them and they keep arguing over is back and I mean, saying the same things when you've explained to them where their position is wrong and you've cited evidence and they keep saying the same thing, these are, this is the frustrating thing. So, uh, so we had these we had states enter the union and these states enter the union on equal footing with the existing states. So they became states just like the state of Virginia or the state of Massachusetts, which had sovereign powers. These states still had sovereign powers, even if they were carved out of territory, the general territory of the United States government. Once they became a state, they were on equal footing with the existing states. This is how Jefferson sold it in the Northwest Ordinance. And that that same principle applied to every other state that joined the Union. We We don't have senior states and junior states. We have states. And the people of the states have all the powers in the states. And because the states can create corporations, they can create corporations, they can incorporate cities, they have ultimate sovereignty. The general government could never do any of those things. And so this actually brings me to the point, can the general government abolish a state? I think unequivocally the answer is no, but that's not how the Republican Party thought about it during Reconstruction. In fact, they said things like, Theirs was a righteous cause to forge a new union. And what was that new union? Well, it was a centralized union without the states, essentially. Their idea was to punish the South and to remake the South. And you had people like Thaddeus Stevens and Charles Sumner advocating state suicide. Uh... The point was that when the states seceded, they reverted to territorial status and therefore they could be uh, regulated like a territory, a common property of the United States. But can that happen? Absolutely not. Because only the people of the states can say what the state is, not the general government. The general government has no corporate powers over anything but Washington, D.C., Now, you might argue they have corporate powers over the territories, but I think it's very clear they don't. I would would take issue with people that say they do because the only powers a general government has are those outlined in Article 1, Section 8, and there aren't any corporate powers for the territories there. They can guarantee states Republican forms of government. They can make needful rules and regulations for the territories, but that does not constitute corporate powers. Those, those rules and regulations are still restricted by Article 1, Section 8. So how do we know that the, that the radical Republicans, the extreme northern position, because I think, again, this is what we have to start hammering away. It's not, it's not sufficient anymore to say there's an extreme southern position. There is an extreme northern position. There is a position that's inconsistent, a northern position that's inconsistent with the history of the Federal Republic, and that is the extreme northern position. We should stop calling it the Deep South and instead call it the Deep North because that was the oddity. Even in the 1860s, it was the oddity. People were starting to look for reconciliation, as I mentioned in Podcast 121, because they believed that reconciliation was the proper method to pursue because they all shared a similar view of America except for the extreme northern position. So what's happened over time is we've thought that the extreme northern position was somehow the American position. It wasn't. It was the oddity. It was not the standard American position. That was held by Southerners and, of course, a large minority 
of the northern population, uh, at least during the Reconstruction period and the war period, but eventually that, that large minority became a majority in the north. So, I want to talk about one particular event that took place in 1867. In 1867, the Radical Republicans decided they were going to take over Reconstruction, and they passed something known as the First Reconstruction Act of 1867. This was in direct confrontation or contradiction to the Reconstruction policies of both Abraham Lincoln and Andrew Johnson, because Johnson in December of 1865 had said that the Union was Reconstructed. The Union was back together. Uh, we've, we've got the Union back. Uh, everything's good. Uh, we are back to normal again. We've, we've passed the 13th Amendment, so slavery is abolished, and we're back to normal. But that wasn't good enough for the, Republic, for the radical Republicans who wanted something else. They didn't like Johnson's Reconstruction Plan. They didn't like Lincoln's Reconstruction Plan. They wanted to punish and remake the South not just the South, but the entire United States. They wanted a top-down, one-size-fits-all America in order to maintain political supremacy, which was the ultimate objective of the Republican Party. So according to the first Reconstruction Act, which, by the way, Andrew Johnson vetoed, for good reason, because it's completely unconstitutional, all the southern states except Tennessee were removed from the Union. Now, think about that for a second constitutionally. All of the southern states, except Tennessee, were removed from the Union. Uh, the, the question becomes, how, uh, how can they do this? Didn't they just fight a four-year war to say that you couldn't leave the Union? Now, the general government is saying we can kick a state out of the Union. Without, without the consent of that state, we're just going to do it unilaterally. Well, wasn't that, they, didn't they say that was illegal? You can't do this unilaterally. You can't, you can't leave unilaterally. But now the northern states are saying, you are no longer a state. You are now a territory. We're booting you out of the Union. Now, some of these states, of course, were original states. Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Can they do that to an original state? Well, the answer, obviously, constitutionally, is no. But they did it anyways. So they've said for four years, you can't leave the Union. Now you can leave the Union. But you're only going to leave the Union... Because this is how we're telling you you're going to do it. The ten states that remained outside of Tennessee were divided into five military districts subject to martial law. Now, this is very unconstitutional. There's no rebellion going on in these states. So, I mean, you can't even make a case that somehow there, there should be martial law in these states. You can't do it. But yet, they're doing it here. And again, completely illegal and unconstitutional. Now, the states that were booted out, the ten that were booted out, these five military districts subject to martial law. This is like, uh, you know, the Hunger Games here. This is what we're getting. States were forced to draw up new constitutions and to ratify the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Now, think about that for a second. States are now required, who aren't really states, because they've said these states committed suicide. They're now territories of the United States. But yet, these states that aren't states are now required to ratify the 14th Amendment of the Constitution in order to become a state again. Now, according to Article 5 of the United States Constitution, only states can ratify amendments. So how can a state that's not a state ratify an amendment? 
Are they states or are they not states? Well, the radical Republicans are saying these are not states. These are territories. They've committed suicide. This is what the Supreme Court said in Texas v. White. They're no longer, well, I mean, at least what, what the minority said. They wanted to ensure that these states were territories, essentially, of the United States government and could be administered the way they chose. But in order for an amendment to be ratified as per the Constitution, it has to happen through state action. That is the key. That's the important thing. This is what people miss in this entire debate. This is why Andrew Johnson did veto this legislation and why I think Andrew Johnson was one of the best presidents in American history, at least according to his oath of office, in defending the Constitution of the United States. So let's talk about that 14th Amendment. Well, first of all, you know, we know this isn't legal. Why was the Republican Party trying to do this? Because they wanted votes. If they could do these things, they could ensure Republican Party supremacy in these states for years to come, decades perhaps. They could ensure that they would always control these states, and therefore they could keep ramming their legislative economic agenda down the throats of the American public, whether it was north, south, or west. They could ensure that their agenda would be approved. They would control these state legislatures indefinitely. So that was the reasoning behind it. It's legal? No, not at all. You can't, I mean, only the people of the state can create a state, and only the people of the state can then theoretically abolish that state if they chose to do so. But the general government can't do that. The, the, the thing that's created cannot abolish the creator, in this particular case, when it comes to government. That's not possible. So let's talk about this 14th Amendment. Remember, in order to uh, in order to become a state, these states had to ratify the 14th Amendment. Now again, Article 5 of the Constitution, that's not allowed. So the 14th Amendment was actually rejected. There's been a lot of research on this, and I think Forrest McDonald wrote the best essay on it. Was the 14th Amendment actually even constitutionally adopted? And I think McDonald came on the side, no, it was never adopted. And that's because it never had the requisite three-quarters of the states to get it through, 75%. 75% of the states did not ratify the 14th Amendment. Even if you put in the southern states, which aren't really states, you can't say they're ratifying the amendment. So uh, there, were, there were states like Ohio that rescinded their ratification when it became clear that the provisions of the first Reconstruction Act were going to be put into place. So they said, you know what? We're not doing it. We're not ratifying an amendment that is going to be illegally ratified to begin with. So they rescind the ratification, but William H. Seward promulgates the amendment anyways, saying it's been ratified. But it never really was. This comes down to the state suicide theory. Did the states actually commit suicide when they left the Union? No, they didn't. They were still states. And when they came back in the Union, I mean, this is where Lincoln was saying these things are still states. When they came back in the Union, they were nothing but states. Now, if you want to say they actually physically left the Union, they were an independent country, and now we've conquered these states, and now we can do with them what we choose... Well, I could actually buy that argument more than I could if you said they were just in rebellion and they were back in the Union now. They cannot be booted out of the Union. They cannot be reduced to corporations. They cannot commit suicide. They can't do any of those things. They are still states on equal footing with all of the states in the existing Union. 
You see, the entire Republican position was built on a house of cards. It was built on half-truths, like secession was illegal or treason. It would have been if the states perhaps stayed in the Union, but they weren't in the Union. They were independent, exercising the right to self-determination, which is the American position, the American tradition, as advanced by the Declaration of Independence and, of course, the various states before that point, for example, Virginia, leaving the Union even before the Declaration was agreed upon on July 2nd, 1776 by the Continental Congress. So this issue of state sovereignty, of state suicide, of the status of a state, I mean, Jefferson chose state. He actually said the, the states in the United States were, are the same as the state of Great Britain. And so he's saying Virginia is equal to Great Britain. They're both independent, free and independent states or countries. That's what state meant. And so you cannot, you cannot any, in any way say that somehow the states did not have the ability to exercise self-determination, the people of the state, and leave a union that they no longer want to be part of. In popular conventions, we can... We can talk about why that happened or the issues around it or, you know, what was the underpinning, what underpinned this cause for secession. But the fact is, just the mere fact these states did it shows that they were exercising a right of self-determination. And regardless of what the Supreme Court says or regardless of what the Congress says, they cannot abolish a state. They can't boot a state out of the Union unless you had unanimous consent. I think at that point you would need unanimous consent from all the other states and from the state itself. And that's that's the missing component. If the state wanted to be out of the union, it would have to agree to it itself. It acceded to the Constitution, therefore it can only secede from the Constitution. And that is an important distinction to make. So the Republicans, this extreme northern position, was incorrect constitutionally. It was incorrect in terms of historically. Uh, there's nothing in the founding documents, there's really at all, that you can find where you would find anyone, even Hamilton and James Wilson and some of the ardent nationalists, would not have advanced the idea in 1788 that the states somehow uh, were subservient to the general government. In fact, even Hamilton said in Federalist 32 and 33, the states were essential. Now, I think he was lying at that point in what he really meant. He was hiding what he really meant. Uh, but the fact is, We have a situation that is um, often used, and people say, well, I mean, you know, the states, they had to do these things, they had to adopt the 14th Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, not if you're going to take Lincoln's position that the states were never out of the Union, uh, the war that secession is actually illegal, then the first Reconstruction Act doesn't make any sense. The general government can't boot a state out of the Union. So I wanted to address that because you'll often hear this brought up. You know, who creates a state? How did the state create it? The people create states, and the states that the states that came into the union were on the equal footing with the existing states. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Kentucky, or you're talking about California, or you're talking about North Dakota, or Alaska, or Hawaii, or Vermont. Even 
you know, or uh, Florida or Alabama. These states are on equal footing with the existing states because the people of the states organize the state. And we can talk about boundaries. The boundaries don't make the state. The people of the state make the state, not the actual physical you know, geographic boundaries of that particular state. And so when you're arguing with your friends and they say things like secession is treason or they say things like, well, I mean, the states can't, I mean, a state that left the union is now a territory or whatever the case may be. You have some ammunition to go back at them and say, well, wait a second here. This is, I mean, this is so inconsistent with the original understanding of the, of the Constitution. Uh, this is the deep northern or the or the extreme northern position it's not really the american position uh and we we have evidence of that because of how people talked about it during the war and other things uh, or leading up to the war uh and how they acted during the war um, those are the important things to take away from this particular debate uh the northwest ordinance showed that states that came into the union were on equal status with the existing states and therefore they could do what states could all states could do uh, whether you regulated slavery in the territories, for example, or not, this was a state issue, and so those states could become slave states if they chose to do so, or be free states if they chose to do so, just like Massachusetts or South Carolina. States cannot be destroyed by the central authority. Only, only the state itself could do that. In fact, if you even look at the Constitution and creating states within existing states, it has to have the approval of the states, and then, of course, the Congress but more importantly, it has to have the approval of the existing states to do it. Congress can't just say, we're going to create a state. No, nope. the states have the final say in that. And, uh, of course, Congress would have to approve it or not. And that's where you get into um, what's in the best interest of the union. But still, the states are the primary actors in that particular process. So there is no state suicide. There isn't a situation where the general government can declare a state a territory. There isn't a situation where the general government can boot a state out of the union. Uh, that just can't happen unless, I mean, I guess you, unless the state gave it consent to do so. The state decides where it is in the union and how it remains in the union. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and understanding of states and, and what they mean and what that term means and how the Republicans were inverting things. And I'll see you next time on The Brian McClaney Show.